Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Gino Cavallini, known as The Tank. Gino played nine seasons in over 600 National Hockey League games for the Calgary Flames, St. Louis Blues, and Quebec Nordique. He was also joined in the NHL by his younger brother, Paul, and was able to experience the very rare pleasure of brothers playing together on the same pro team, which I'm sure pleased Mama and Papa Cavallini even more than the boys. Gino and the St. Louis Blues had some awesome playoff battles against Wendell and our boys in blue and white in 1986 and 1987, but more importantly, Gino is a local boy himself and a real beauty. Welcome, Gino, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Andrew. I am uh, currently in uh, west suburbs of Chicago, Barrington, Illinois, um, and I've been here. We've been here since uh, 2011. I run a I run a local uh, tier one hockey program, AAA hockey program here, and feel like I'm blessed every day going to the work. I'm fortunate to to be able to do what I do and you know help help kids along like uh, like there were those that helped us along. Well, it sounds to me like you're still on skates. When was the last time? Uh, are you on skates regularly? Uh, yeah, we're on, I'm on the ice every pretty much every day, every weeknight, and you know, depending on whether we're playing or traveling on weekends. But yeah, I'm, I'm on the ice every day with the boys. So I'm guessing if you're still playing alumni, that you must be one of the better players because you're still you still got your uh, well, your, your well, skills. There's, there's there's a difference between skating and running practices <laughs> and playing alumni. I'm not. I'm. Uh, I'm one of the alumni that doesn't move. I'm not. Uh, we did. A, I did. I, the first time I did a fantasy camp was this year, and all the years I've been retired and uh, in St. Louis. And I, I warned the guys that I was playing with, "You're going to be disappointed." <laughs> What's what was the fantasy camp experience like? Oh, it was fun. It was, uh, you know, it was it was St. Louis. It you know just there's there's a lot of alumni a lot of alumni retire in St. Louis. So it's I hadn't gotten back in, you know, like 11 years, 10 years. So it was fun to get back and see all, you know, Chaser and Holly and, geez, I think uh, uh, Momesso and my brother was there and Tilly. I mean, guys that we played with through the, through, through the late 80s. It was, it was a lot of fun being around and, the boys again. And talk about the state of hockey, Gino, in the States. Uh, we, we know it's obviously huge, but because you've had particular experience. St. Louis, we hear, is a hotbed. Chicago, we hear, is a hotbed. How would you describe the state of uh, hockey in your parts? I, I mean, it's, it's good hockey. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy coaching. Uh, the game is evolving, and you can watch how the skill is definitely, you know, the way we played back in the 80s, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it, it, it was a harder game, but the skill wasn't as high as it is today. And, I mean, that's... It's basically uh, through through the through the early to mid uh, you know last last I mean the last three or four years it hasn't been you know great around Chicago with the Blackhawks the way they've been playing but while they were on their three Stanley Cup runs it was it was uh, it was fun the kids you know there was there was excitement you know not right to the youth level from the pro team right down to the youth level and the brand of hockey the, the puck possession high tempo brand of hockey they played is exactly is exactly the kind of hockey we taught so you know those those boys that came through the program then and continue to come through the program you know we see them having you know considerable amount of success uh, in the Chicago area and you know it's 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 I want to see it's it might be the fourth most popular sport in the U.S. you know just think about that so you mm -hmm. know your, your top athletes like a lot of times we go to Canada and there's, they, you know, like we just got back from uh, Toronto, uh, from Whitby, from Silver Sticks. And it's hard for people to understand going north that, you know, the top athletes in the States might be playing baseball or basketball or football, whereas the top athletes in Canada are playing hockey. And, you know, that's the result. Same thing on the women's side. Well, as you note, the game has certainly changed a lot since your heyday in the 80s. With your permission, let's go all the way back. Get the Gino Cavallini story. Where were you born? And describe your upbringing. I was born. Jeez, it's got to be like uh, I was born downtown, off of uh, Bathurst and just south of St. Clair. 
um, moved up to uh, Downsview, Keelan, Keelan Wilson neighborhood, um, like in the mid '60s, and uh, my mom still lives in that house today. So we grew wow. up. Yeah, we grew up playing uh, street hockey in the winter, street hockey in the summer. You know, we'd carry our nets from street to street. I mean, that's that's all we did. You know, like there might have been some some of the some of the 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 Canadian the Canadian boys played lacrosse, uh, but like the immigrant neighborhoods, like where we were, we played we played hockey. That was. That was our passion. That's what we did, you know, and we did that. We did that 12 months a year, basically. Yeah. And where did you go to school? What high school were you at? Um, so I went to Chaminade for four years. And then uh, my, uh, my grade, back then you did grade 13. So before my grade 13 year, um, somehow one of my dad's friends worked for the Italian radio station and helped me get over to Italy to play, to try to play on the national team. So I was, I missed, I missed uh, my grade 13, the first, uh, the first half of the season. It, it wasn't working out while I was in Italy. I had a passport. I was playing as an, as an Italian. Uh, they changed the rules halfway and I got sent home before Christmas and I finished playing that year. I finished playing in uh, uh, junior B up in Oak Ridges. Um, and the old, I think the old Cal palace is still there. And then, uh, then at that after that that next year I went and finished uh, my grade thirteen at Nelson A Boylan in uh, in uh, you know in Downsview, and um, it's funny I met uh, I was trying out for Guelph that year, and I was also skating down at St Mike's uh, for Rick Cornacchia, and he basically told me you're either you're either going to play for me this year or you got to. You can't come out. You can't. You can't try out anymore. You're hurting guys every every time you're on the ice. Someone's laying. Someone's someone's getting carried off. So uh, I had uh, I had I was blessed with being. You know, the I had the body of a man when I was 16. So uh, there was no. I never took many prisoners. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and, and I ended up. I ended up with. I ended up playing at St. Mike's that year. Yes, uh, we won the Ontario Championships. I want to go one one step back, Gino. Talk about your parents, and and if I'm not mistaken, you were first generation. And was it you and Paul, or did, were there other siblings? No, it was my brother and I, Paul and I. Um, my mom, uh, my mom's still alive. She's uh, she's from St. John's, Newfoundland. So I've got uh, Newfie blood in me. And my dad was uh, he was from Italy, right off you know he right off the boat when he was 18 or 19. You know, mm-hmm. so it was. Um, it, it was funny. The kids today don't, you know. I had, uh, I had, uh, our team was in Whitby uh, for Silver Sticks at the end of November, and uh, some of the families left from Detroit to go to Toronto early, and they needed to skate on the Wednesday. So I called and rented ice room at Ted Reeve Arena, which back then was like <laughs> a fifty-five minute bus ride, you know. And I can remember the Calvington. I think it was the Calvington, the Wilson, and the Kennedy. Uh, to get there, you know, it's like, you know, today, you know, you think of even kids in Toronto, I mean, you might, you might take the subway or the train to go down a Leaf game or get into the city, but, you know, that's, that was our mode of transportation back then, you know, my dad, my dad, the only, the only caveat we had is uh, my dad would come from work, so uh, he had the car in the family, so if we were going to get in a fight, it had to be before he got there, otherwise, (laughs) there was going to be trouble. Oh, you never heard the end of it the whole way home. <laughs> well, uh, you'll be pleased to know, Gino, Ted Riverina is still alive and standing. Yeah. A shout out to my nephew, Ben, and his Dirt Dogs, Adam Level team. He still play their house league. Um, so as you know, you played a year for the St. Michael Buzzers, junior A hockey team, had success there. Following that season, you were offered a scholarship to play college hockey for the Bowling Green State University Falcons. At that time, Gino, was U.S. college a viable path to the pros, or was this more, you know, thrilling your parents that you could combine education with hockey? I mean, I mean, back then, if you didn't get drafted, it was like, all right, now what? So, you know, coming coming out of junior, I was undrafted out of junior hockey. We won the Ontario Championships, and you know, you, there was uh, there was maybe one or two players that year in the league that had gotten drafted, and it was kind of you know, you kind of head scratching, but I went to Bowling Green to get an education. And then, you know, I knew I could always go back and play, 
professionally in Italy if I had to, but not knowing, you know, it was, it was all a new experience and, you know, Bowling Green, you know, at the time for the Canadians, we didn't know the value of, you know, a Michigan, a Michigan degree or, uh, you know, Boston college or Harvard, you know, we didn't understand that because we just, if, if I hadn't gone to school there, I would have gone to York university of U of T. So either way I was, I was going to college and some of us, some of us, I wasn't drafted in the OHL, but you know, like my brother was drafted and they, he might've been drafted to Sudbury or Sault Ste. Marie. And it was going to be tough for uh, a kid from the city, from Toronto to go to Sault Ste. Marie. I mean, that was, you know, that was way out there. You know, that was a long, long way. And the hockey was just as good in the city at the time. Um, so we stuck around, but I ended up, uh, I ended up going the college route and, you know, I would, I think 15 or 16 of us, 16 or uh, 15 or 16 of us that year that we won uh, the Ontario championships ended up playing division one hockey that following year. And uh, I'm assuming your parents must've been thrilled that you were getting education plus hockey. Right. They were, they were thrilled. And like, uh, like, like I said, we didn't know the value of, you know, a Michigan degree or whatnot, but, you know, and I, I had the opportunity to visit Wisconsin at the time, but like Wisconsin was a 12 hour drive. Whereas my dad could get off work at noon on Friday and be, you know, be in Bowling Green by game time at seven o'clock that <laughs> night. So that was, you know, for myself, that was a deciding factor. And then when Paul ended up going to Providence college, that was one of the deciding factors for him too, is, you know, the, the proximity and the, the ability for my, for our parents to, to get there to watch games. Now, Gino, you played college hockey for the Falcons for two years, and your big claim to fame was the 1984 NCAA Division I championship game. I'm going to let you tell the story, if you will. <laughs> yeah, we were in Lake Placid. We were playing, uh, I don't even know how we ended up in the final. We got, we got a couple lucky bounces leading up to, leading up to that championship game, and uh, we tied uh, we tied the game up late in the third, and then we went into overtime, and it was... We're like in the fourth overtime at this point, and you know you're just you're you know we we were running on fumes at that point. I ended up cutting it. I, I you know the line I was on. I was on uh, our sentiment was Dan Kane. He had come from Ottawa. Uh, Jamie Wansborough was another Toronto boy on the right wing, and we may have led college hockey that year in each position in scoring. I mean, we had a we had an unbelievable year and. You know, I had a great centerman. He faded away, slid a puck over. I cut in. I got. I got a step in on the defenseman, cut across, and you know, drove the net. Came across and put it in an empty net, and that was it. That was was pretty. It's pretty exciting. But you know, being exhausted. I mean, we. The the good thing was we had a bus ride from Lake Placid to Montreal to fly back to Toledo, Ohio, or we may have even flown into Detroit, and that was. That the bus ride and the and the plane ride was the only sleep we got in the next month and a half. <laughs> I'll bet because you're you're being far too humble, Gino. This was the game winning goal seven minutes into the fourth overtime. This was ninety seven minutes and eleven seconds into the game. Your goal won the NCAA championship, the first and I believe the only for Bowling Green. W would you say this was the biggest goal of your career after everything said and done, or uh, how would you describe it? Um, I mean, most yeah, exciting. It's, it's, it was, uh, it was exciting. It was, uh, definitely the most memorable. Cause I, you know, you think about, you know, what was my biggest goal in the NHL? I don't, I don't even know. I mean, the biggest, the one goal I remember scoring in the NHL was uh, the day after my first son was born. You know, I remember that goal because I didn't play much that game until the third period. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, that, yeah, that college goal was definitely, uh, memorable and you know it continues to get brought up like every year you know in march it's brought up all the time so the sure kids, the kids they coach they all have those highlights and they're like oh you know it's <laughs> it's fun watching it you know even with my own boys growing up it was pretty you know they're they're engaged and uh it was it was a lot of, it, it's been it's been a fun ride no question and and that group of that team i still you know we still we're still pretty close together and actually i become good friends with some of the players on the team that we beat minnesota Duluth. so it's it's definitely it's definitely one i one goal hopefully hopefully i'm 60 now but hopefully i don't forget it over the next 20 years <laughs> it's a great legacy yeah and it's great you're able to enjoy and, and with the younger generation 
So, Gino, following your two seasons at Bowling Green, the Calgary Flames signed you as a free agent during the 84-85 season, but you jumped right into action. Mid-season, no, there had been no draft, there's no training camp, no getting to know the boys. What do you remember about putting on the sweater and jumping right in? Jeez, it was... I remember getting called up. The bus, uh, the van, I was in Moncton, and it had snowed the night before, and uh, the, the equipment guy slid into a bank snowbank so now we're going to the airport i'm getting called up we're stuck in a snowbank i gotta trying to push this thing out so we finally get on the plane get to montreal and then i it's like a small plane i thought i was i i thought i was gonna die we were we came out of the clouds and you could almost touch the trees you know kind of thing but i ended up meeting the team in uh, Hart, uh, hartford and the thing and and my my first my first professional hockey roommate was my childhood idol one of my childhood idols growing up was Lanny McDonald that wow. was my my first roommate on the road was you know i mean i could still you could still remember the uh, frosted flakes commercials you know they're great you know he used that <laughs> you know when he that he used to do um so so that so we play the game and i i don't remember anything about the game except for after the game we're in hartford so you walk you know, I just went back to the room. I didn't know, you know, just trying to keep my nose clean and, you know, go back to the room, order some room service. We're going, you know, we're going up to Boston the next morning or wherever. And Lanny comes back at about 1130 and he's got a six pack of beer. And he's like, oh, you, you got, you got food for yourself. You never ordered anything for me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my, I was mortified. Now I'm like, oh my God. So the rest of the year, no matter what, I if I was ordering room service, I always had a clubhouse sandwich waiting for <laughs> no matter what. But uh, it was uh, it was it was a special time, you know. It was it was pretty cool. Um, well, yeah. did did you call him Mister McDonald? Oh, I I was like I was starstruck, you know. It's like here's you know it's, it's either you were either you were either him or daryl sittler growing up on this you know you either had yeah. you, you, you were one or the other and if you're a defenseman you were solving you know sorry to see you know sorry to hear his passing uh but you know there was you know then you had uh, paul matier you know was, but you were either you're either lanny mcdonald or or if 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 anything got heated you were a tiger yeah <laughs> well what a thrill to start your career that way oh god yeah i remember that <laughs> we laughed after but uh it's pretty cool it was it was it was um pretty memorable you know it was a great experience no question now, you know you played parts of two seasons with calgary you were alternating between the nhl team and their ahl affiliate the moncton golden flames following your second year you were traded with ed beers and charlie boo boo bourgeois to the St. Louis Blues in exchange for Joey Mullen and others. And this is when you really came into your time with the St. Louis Blues. You were assistant captain to Brian Sutter, and you were known for leadership, enthusiasm, and what at the time they called discipline strength. Uh, you guys were always strong and a force during the playoffs. What was it like playing at that time in what was known as the Chuck Norris division because of all the fighting and rough stuff? I mean, there was, there was no... There was no hiding like you there, it was it was it was a tough it was it wasn't it wasn't not everyone's stomach could stomach that that division i mean it was a tough time to play hockey i mean you you know especially especially like every every team had every team had at least a line of you know four or five tough guys like serious tough guys like i was i was big i wasn't really a fighter i mean i could fight i was stronger you know i was maybe ahead of my time in terms of off ice training and lifting weights. So I could handle myself, but man, there was, I mean, we'd gone into St. Louis, Red Berenson had score, you know, he had that crazy game in, in Philadelphia back in the seventies where he had, you know, seven or eight goals. I don't even know what it was. And like, after that, we'd go into Philly and guys would be terrified. Like we had guys on the team that Man, they wanted nothing. We, I, I bet you, they, they, I bet you, St. Louis went ten years without winning a game in Philadelphia, and it was, you know, it's like, oh yeah, here we go, you know. <laughs> Whereas guys like, you know, we had the like the Kelly Chases. They love, they, they, they enjoy it. They love going, you know, they love that. So, and they, you know, those West, all those Western Hockey League guys, they all knew, they all knew each other. It was like just a regular, you know, okay, 
let's have a bar brawl and we're going to fight each other kind of thing, you know. Gino, was, was that what they called the, the Philly flu? The Philly flu, oh yeah. We, we had guys always had the Philly flu going into Philadelphia. Jeez, what the... <laughs> But it was it was it was it was fun. You know, we we enjoyed it. St. Louis was the the fans were fantastic. Like I still go to St. Louis and I can walk through a mall and someone will say, "Hey, Gino." You know, it's, people people recognize their you know they're big. It's a big uh, it's a big sports town and people recognize their athletes there and um, it's pretty cool. You know, Paul Paul still lives there, so he gets the hey Gino, how's Paul doing? Yeah, <laughs> he gets that all the time. Hey Toronto, the GTA, and parts beyond. Sign up for a subscription box from the Henderson Brewing Company, where every month you will get the special seasonal release, plus three other unique tap room only beers mailed anywhere in Canada. Available in four, six, or 12-month subscriptions, these packs are great for any beer lover, including, yes, yourself. Order now at hendersonbrewing.com or visit their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Railpath. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. In this part, as you know, from your hometown, we love uh, our Maple Leaf memories. And, and you were part of two very big uh, playoff battles. And let's go through them, if we may. 1986 playoffs, the Norris Division Finals. You, the St. Louis Blues, were heavily favored. The Leafs weren't even a 500 team that season. But it went to Game 7, and uh, you guys won, 2-1. to one. I don't know what you remember about uh, the 86 playoff run or any memories of that game seven winning two, two, two to one. I mean, there was that, that year coming in, like I didn't know. I mean, I was, I didn't know what a trade. I, I was a healthy, when I got traded to St. Louis, I was a healthy scratch after, you know, scoring a couple of goals against Edmonton the night or the, the, the game before. So I'm like, man, why? And we're playing them again. And, you know, they were always, they always wanted size in a lineup. And I look at Eddie and Charlie and myself, we're not in a lineup tonight. So something, those guys probably had figured out where there's a trade going on. I didn't know. I was, I was so naive. And, you know, then you get to St. Louis and that first year, I mean, we had, uh, we were deep. It was like, geez. And, and, and it's funny with Jacques Demers that year, uh, you know, in Calgary, we would, Calgary, we'd, they had a health. They had they had a weight room right in the and it's still there in the locker rooms because we traveled so much. We're always working out after games and you know flushing the lactic acid out of your legs and whatnot. You get to St. Louis and we didn't have a regular practice from February on. It was all optionals uh, because we had an older team and the older guys were like Brian and Bernie Federko and you know back then old was those guys were twenty nine thirty maybe mm -hmm. you know like that you were a relic back then. So we had pregame skates, and like my recollection of that time was Greg Millen was the goalie, and he was uh, he was uh, he caught righty, and he'd come from like Peterborough, Eastern Ontario. So he was he was a, he had played lacrosse growing up. Like you couldn't this pregame skate, Greg Millen's in net. It got to a point where you weren't even trying to score; you're just trying to hit him. Like he would knock pucks out of the air. You couldn't hit him with a puck. Like that's how good he was with his stick, but it was kind of like we never we never practiced. But the guys came together, and there was no quit. I mean, we we were deep. We were four line. You know, it's not like we had you know two and a half lines. I mean, we had four number one lines back then, and we could play. You know, you know, we had uh, Bernie Federko, Dougie Gilmore. Dougie Gilmer was a checking, you know, he was a, you know, if you played with Dougie, that was the checking line. He played against all the top guys. Like, think about, I mean, he might, I'm, I may be wrong, but he may have a thousand points in the NHL as a, as a checking for, you know, as a checking centerman kind of thing. Yeah. Right? You had uh, Doug Wickenheiser up the middle, uh, Ron Flockhart. Like, I, I mean, we were so deep and, you know, there was just, it didn't matter when we were playing St. Louis that year after, after coming out of that, that series, we ended up coming back from a three-goal deficit on a Monday night in St. Louis in Game Six to to advance and force a Game Seven. I mean, no one expected us to do that, and it was, uh, you know, it was it was a special year. It was a special group of guys. Well, I'm glad you brought it up, Gino, because in that '86 playoffs in the series against the Leafs, people will be shocked to know that St. Louis's leading scorer in that seven-game series was a 22-year-old by the name of Doug Gilmore. Oh yeah. Another of your teammates uh, in that on that St. Louis team in '86 was future Leafs captain Rob Ramage, as well as Mark Hunter. 
who later built the uh, London Knights into a powerhouse, and he kind of gets a lot of credit for the drafting of uh, Mitchell Marner. The next year, Gino, 1987, Norris Division semifinals. Neither team, the Blues nor the Leafs, had a record above 500. In this seven-game series, three of the wins came by one goal. You were the second-leading playoff scorer after Bernie Federko, who is in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and by the way, primarily a, a St. Louis Blue, the first one to be inducted primarily as a St. Louis Blue into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The 1987 7-game series, you want to talk about a, a little about that? You know I want to ask you about a, a, a key play that you were involved in. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it was, it was always... The, the only... The, it, was, it was fun going back, especially in the playoffs, to Toronto, except for I, you know, I'd, I'd need like 30 tickets. Like everyone, everyone <laughs> wanted to come to the games, and I just had to make sure. I mean, I think one of those games, one of those playoff games... I wasn't starting, so I was at the end of the bench at the Old Gardens, and I, I, I'm coming off, and I look, and the guy, the guy in the fedora turns and laughs. It's my father-in-law sitting right next to me on the bench. My, my in-laws got, you know, there was like six seats or eight seats between the benches, and my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were sitting right next to the bench in that, you know, that's, that's the, you know, we had no idea where they were, you know, what the seats were. My, my father-in-law was sitting right next to me. But that, that series was, it was physical on the verge of, on the verge or on the cusp of being violent. Like it was, there was, I mean, I remember, I remember uh, in a check, I remember getting a high stick in the eye and I came back after the first period or, uh, you know, I got high stick went to the locker room and I couldn't see out of my right eye. It was, you know, my eyes are open. I'm looking in the mirror and I can't see anything. And I'm like, oh, you know, you just, your whole career flushes and, you know, just rolls right through, right in front of you. Cause you're, and, and by the time, by the time we're getting ready to go, and I never said anything to anyone, by the time we're getting ready to go back on the ice, they put a visor on my Jofa. And, you know, by the time I got back to the ice to start the second period, I could see again. It was just like, Things like that, like, you know, there was no, you know, you're, you're playing hurt no matter what. Like back then it was, there was, there was, there was no nights off. I mean, it was everything, you know, and, and we were, you know, <laughs> I still have my first NHL contract. I mean, I think I might've been making $65,000, you know, in the NHL back then. I mean, it was not, you know, you, you know, we were playing for the love, you know, just for the, we loved the blood sport. You know, it was a blood sport to us, and we loved doing what we were doing. And, you know, we had no idea, but, you know, we were thought, you know, this, we, we didn't know any better. But it was, uh, yeah, there was, there was no pussyfooting around in those games, that's for sure. Well, I'm so glad that you uh, were, were able to take the time to join me. You're a really good guy because uh, the, the history of us getting together is that uh, I had interviewed for this podcast Ken Reggett, who was during my wheelhouse years of the Leafs, Alan Bester, Ken Reggett were the goaltending tandem. And we spent time with Ken Reggett talking about his biggest save of his career. And it happened to be against Mr. Gino Cavallini. And so I appreciate you coming on because now I want your take on it. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to set this up and we'll see what you remember. It's called The Save. So in this 1987 playoff seven-game series... It was a pivotal game four. You guys, the Blues, were up two games to one. You could have put a stranglehold on the series. And in the last minute of play, Ken Reggett made a game-saving, spectacular save. It was a dramatic glove hand catch on a blistering 35-foot slap shot by you, Gino Cavallini. Asked after the game if he saw the shot, Ken Reggett said, I only had one eye open. And your coach, Jacques Martin, said after the game, in the final analysis, Gino got the shot we wanted. But the Toronto guy made an impossible stop. There's an amazing photo of Ken Reggett dramatically flashing the leather. Gino, what do you remember about that play? I just, I just, I can't remember. I can't remember who gave me the puck. I, but, like, I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have the highest hockey IQ. But I learned, I learned early on, make sure, especially, and I, and I, try, to I try to teach this today, too. Like, you know, you're in the offensive zone. The whole essence of, of, of being a forward is to score, right? So, you know, and I tell my kids every day, you know, if you're not ready for the puck in the offensive zone, you're not playing hockey. Like, if you don't know where the puck is and you're not ready for it. So I made it a point, like, when I played, especially in the offensive zone, you got to be ready, you know, no matter what. And, you know, get pucks off. Get, get yourself in position. And whether it didn't matter who I was playing with, 
you know, a lot of time, a lot of times that year, just trying to think, it might've been Dougie. It might've been Bernie. I don't even know who gave me the pass on that, but you know, I was just ready and freaking hammered that thing. And, but back then, I mean, if you look, I can't, I can't remember if that's one of the, there's, there's two saves like that where I, you know, where I'm involved in how far out of the net, you know, he might, Reggett might've been, you know, almost at the circle, you know, at the yeah. bottom of the circle, like back then the goalies, you know, I mean, the goalies stay pretty, pretty much where they're at now because of the equipment and everything's changed. But, you know, back then, if you put your head down, when you took your shot and, you, you know, and you finally put your head up to look like the goalies might've been right in front of you. Like, yeah. We were like cats out there, you know? So, yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was one of those where could have been the hero. It could have been the hero. <laughs> Well, it really was a dramatic play, and uh, Ken Reggett now runs a sports bar. He's near Pittsburgh. I, have you ever had any uh, time to uh, interact? Have you ever met him or discussed it since? Never, never since. Never since. <laughs> okay. That would be so, that would be something we, you know, we just la- you know, you just laugh at those things. Sure, it's amazing. But then, but then look. there was that there was that other play. I I don't know if I tweeted back where. Salming slashes me as I'm driving the net, breaks a mm-hmm. stick on my leg, and then I follow through and you know, it's like blow him, blow ragged up, his helmet goes up, and then we just kind of pick each other up and like, all right, you know, <laughs> good hit, good play. You know, you, you don't you don't even see that anymore. On that note, Gino, as you mentioned, it was very recently, unfortunately, Borea Salming did pass away from ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. I did want to ask you, any memories in particular of playing against Borea Salming? Oh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was another one where, you know, we idolized him on the street. You know, if you weren't Lanny or Daryl, you were him or, or, or Paul Materi. I mean, I mean, he was, he was the guy you wanted to be like and playing, he was a warrior. Like that, that one play was indicative of how he played. Like he was not, you know, uh, you know, and 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 to think about uh, how hard it must have been for a European back in the '70s to come to this league, where now, like, you know, guys, guys resented, you know, guys resented North, you know, Europeans. You know, there was there was guy, you know, and he couldn't understand. Like, even we had we had Swedes in in in, in St. Louis at the time, or later, you know, through the late '80s and. Uh, Pedersen and uh, I mean it was Robert Nordmark for Salming to do what he did back then and the the kind of the kind of game he played right to the very end like even when he was you know finished in Detroit I mean it was like like hopefully like okay you know you you think about okay you're up next and you're looking trying to see who the next defense pairing is and like oh my god this is like you know, you're not just going in and out of the corner without a stick. And like that play, <laughs> yeah. that play where I'm driving the net, like there was no penalty. If you, if you, if you, if you watch that play, that two hander where he breaks his Titan over my, you know, over me, there's, there's, there wasn't even a call on the play. Like the kids get a kick out of watching the, those old games now because, you know, it was rock'em sock'em hockey. There was no, you know, now you might, you might have to go into the NHL for, uh, for a hearing. For, yeah. for for a play like that, you know, you could get suspended for that kind of play now. But he was he was a fierce competitor. I mean, he was it was he was one of those players that was always it was tough to play against because I grew up idolizing this guy. You know, yeah. now you're now it's not like you know it's not like you're on the same team. Like you're playing against one of the guys that you know you had his jersey growing up. You know, so but yeah, it's, that's it amazing. Was, it was it was sad to see him go. That's for sure. Because I'd watched, I'd watched clips of him. I remember a couple of years ago, or when he was in Toronto last time for the Legends or his induction in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it was to see him go that quickly was it was it was heartbreaking, no question. Yeah, it was incredible. It, it as you say, I mean, just last year, I mean, he's seventy one. He looked like he could still play. So yeah. it was unfortunate. Another guy you played against who was a tough guy, number seventeen, Mister Wendell Clark. What were your experiences and interactions with him? Uh, he was, he was a tough guy to play. He, I mean, he could score and he could fight. So, you know, depending on who I was playing with, you know, you might, you might get lucky and not have to be on the ice with him every shift, you know, kind of thing. Like he played hard, he hit hard. I remember, I remember in, in, uh, in, uh, St. Louis one game, he was killing a penalty. He had come off the bench 
Bruce Bell was coming around the net and with his head down and Wendell Clark, like Bruce Bell woke up in the hospital. And then, yeah, you know, now there's now in Charlie, Charlie Bourgeois is on the ice and all of a sudden, you know, Bruce goes down, he's out, the whistle blows and, you know, we're all kind of getting around because, you know, there's going to be a fight and, you know, Charlie's the first guy there and he's got Wendell and he's like, you know, great hit, Jesus, you know, like, what do you do? Like, you know, your teammates laying there, you know, convulsing and... And, you know, it's almost like, what the hell are you thinking about? Get your head up. Like, you, you had to have your – you weren't, you weren't going to play with your head down when Wendell was on the ice. Like, there was mm-hmm. is, is, you know, it's the same thing, like, with a guy like Scott Stevens. If you're playing against him, you knew when he was on the ice. You know, those, there was guys that they played hard and they hit even harder, you know. And they were, you know and – then, and then years later – my uh, one of my roommates when he first broke into St. Louis was Kelly Chase, and their Kelly Chase and Wendell were like best friends. So we got to be, we got to be really good friends. Uh, you know, I can remember, I can remember leaving Maple Leaf Gardens with Kelly, and my mom was walking next to us at the, and my dad were walking next to us at the time. And Wendell, we were supposed to meet him around the building, and Wendell she popped out of the door up ahead, and my mom ran ahead of us to get his autograph and we finally got up there and i'm like you know we're like we're just kind of rolling our eyes right and she, she was so excited to see when she was such a big wendell clark fan well i'm yeah. glad to know the ranking in the cavallini household it was uh, number yeah. three gino number two paul and number one wendell uh gino what about rick vive how'd you enjoy playing uh, against rick vive he was another i mean he was he was his you know, he was a tough guy to play against. He played hard, scored goals. He was, you know, he was like maybe not as, uh, you know, he was uh, he was a little older at the time. Um, I don't know if he was winding down his career or not, but he was another guy. You know, he, I don't think he had uh, he wasn't he wasn't the same as he wasn't the same kind of physical. He didn't bring that physical presence like Wendell did because he was a fifty goal scorer. Mm-hmm. And Wendell Wendell was a lot younger and you know had the energy and you know you know, had the background of being the type of player he was, that tough, hard-nosed player that, you know, could could do it all. But, um, yeah, Rick Rick was uh, – he was a tough guy to play against. And then then I, I had the fortune of – good fortune of playing against him. I think he ended his career maybe in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then it was like, you know, you know you'd kind of give a guy a nod, like, you know, and just shake your head. Like, and you're, like I – you know, that – even – him in Chicago and let's say even Solomon ending up in Detroit, like it was to me, you know, growing up watching these guys, like how the, how the hell are they not in Toronto? It's like if, yeah. it's, it's like today, if, if, if Taser Kane were playing somewhere other than the Blackhawks, it would be, it would be hard to really fathom because they're the, you know, they're the face of the franchise since, you know, for the last 15 years, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, with Rick. I'm with you 100%, Gino. I have wiped out the uh, Daryl in Philly with the Long Cooperalls and uh, Bory in Detroit. I've wiped that from my memory for sure. Yeah. Now, we talked yeah. a little about it. Being a hometown boy, talk a little about playing at Maple Leaf Gardens. Now, you keep your Toronto ties, so I'm sure you know this. It's now a supermarket. But yeah. <laughs> what what were your memories of playing at Maple Leaf Gardens? God, it was, it was you know, in, in warm-up, you just kind of look around and, you know, someone stand up and wave and you know just it, it was it was a it was a time you know especially warm-up you know it was a time of reflection and you know you're looking around to see who you saw and it was it was like coming home I, I can remember I can remember clamoring for a puck in warm-up when I was a kid at Maple Leaf Gardens you know yeah like when 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 the odd time you know my dad would take us you know he would take Paul and I to to a game, which wasn't very often, but you know I can just remember standing on the glass watching watching games, and you know to actually be there and playing. It's you know, and it was it wasn't an easy rink to play in. Like the crowds are different than they are today, but I mean they were they had tough teams. It was a small rink, and you know again there was no there was no hiding, there was no hiding. You know yep. you were you were you had to strap them on, and you know. You know, you're in for, you're in, no matter what, like that whole division back then, that era, that whole division, there was no, there was no gimmies, you know, there's no like, yeah, you're going to take a, you know, you might go in LA or you might go out East and, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to have fun, 
Like you, our division was all business. It was like, and and we played each other so many times. Yeah, you know, it's like Jesus. You know, you created, you know, by the end of the season, especially if you matched up with, you know, you matched up with like who, like us in Chicago in the playoffs was a, you know, it was just a bloodbath. You know, us in Toronto. I mean, think about those five teams. You know, geez. absolutely. I think those were the good days. I, I like the idea when you played these teams so often, you had these great rivalries. I want to talk to you know, about your brother, Paul. A lot of players, they only dream of the opportunity to play in the league with their brother, let alone on the same team. What was it like to play with your younger brother, Paul, who himself played over 500 NHL games? Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was it was great because our parents could you know it was I think it was it was more special for our, for my dad and my mom you know that sacrificed and did everything they did to get us to where we were. I mean there was never the answer the answer was never no. You know it's like we'll figure it out or you know they 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 hauled us all over the place. They followed us throughout our careers, junior hockey, college hockey, and for us to be to play in the same team together, you know, you know it was it was. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they would drive, they would drive this, you know, they they would look at the schedule and pick up a game in Detroit, pick up a game in Chicago, come to St. Louis for a couple of weeks, drive back, and you know, like on a Sunday night, drive through and watch a game, you know, a Saturday in St. Louis, Sunday in Chicago, and and drive home. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool, you know, get to Buffalo, get to Montreal, you know, they would, and then you know, back then my dad had a uh, he. He had, a, he had one of those satellite dishes that you see at Nassau now, you know, like those 16, 16 foot diameter yeah. satellites in the backyard. Um, you know, so he watched all the games. Like there was no, you, there was only certain people that were allowed the game nights when my dad was, you know, when we were on TV, there was only certain, certain friends. He didn't want any talking. He just want to watch the game, you know? That's great. Well, I mean, yeah. your, your parents must've been thrilled. Yeah. Gino, you have a funny story about when Paul got traded to St. Louis and was about to join you. Do you want to share that? Oh yeah. When he, yeah, he was, he was about to be sent down to the international league and what happened from there? Yeah. He, so Paul calls me, he was, uh, he had played the year before he played in Binghamton. He was drafted by like, he was literally, the second or third last player in the draft, the year he got drafted, it was when they went 12 rounds. And um, so it's, he, plays in, he plays in Binghamton, gets called up a couple of times. Then his next year, he looks like he's going to stick, and he gets called in to Dave Poyle's office. And, you know, he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to send you down. You're going you're to meet the team. You're going to the I. You're going to Indianapolis. And back then, that was like, I don't know. That was like the SP. That was like as far away from the NHL as you could get. The eye was way, way, you know, that wasn't, you weren't on the radar anymore. And he's like, nah, I'm not. He freaking storms out and slams the door on Dave Poyle. He goes, I'm, I, I, I won't play hockey before, you know, I'll quit before I go to the eye. So he calls me, you know, and we're all on landline. So I don't even, he stops at a gas station to, you know, to make a call back then. You know, it's freaking 88. I don't even know what year it was. No cell phones. There's no cell phones. So he calls me after lunch and I'm like, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, well, just think about it. You know, let's see what happens. You know, so we're, he's, he's on the phone with our, uh, with our agent at the time, you know, the whole day trying to work it out and calls me back about 530 in the afternoon. He's like, you never believe it. You got to pick me up at the airport. My flight arrives at quarter to 10. I just got traded to St. Louis. We're like, oh my God, we couldn't, couldn't believe it. And then years later, years later, when I talk, I see Dave Poyle, he goes, yeah, one of the, when your brother slammed the door, I knew something, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a normal slam because one of the hinges came right off the door and slammed it so hard. Oh God, we, we were, we had so much fun. God almighty. Jeez. It all worked out in the end. Oh, yeah. I, I got a, a potential urban myth that only you can resolve for us, Gino. A Paul Cavallini urban myth. Playing a game in 1990, your younger brother Paul blocked the shot from Doug Waite. The shot severed the tip of his index finger, which was later found inside his glove. Although doctors could not reattach the tip, Paul Cavallini was able to continue his career. Is that an urban myth or is that true? No, no, it's uh, it was uh, it was a Doug, it was a Doug Wilson slap shot from the point. He's killing a penalty. He's got his two hands on his stick, and the puck hits, the puck hits his finger and pinches the tip of his uh, left index finger right off. And so he goes like, we don't know what's going on. 
he stops and he gets down on one knee and he's kind of he's kind of shaking his glove upside down and this something falls out we're on the bench something falls out so now he's he's in like he's he's like right in front of the crease and now he's kind of push pushing the snow together and he comes back to the bench with his with with the snow with that tip of his finger like he's totally in shock we're like what the hell like he's like looking at his finger and it's gone it's not really gushing but like it looks like it looks like someone's holding a gun you know this looked like the end of a gun nozzle and yeah he lost uh he lost uh the tip of his finger that uh on that shot he was out for a while too it's the we call it the tickler now when he goes to shake your hand <laughs> He's got a little bit of a fingernail that grows back. And, you know, if he shakes your hand, you get this little thing rubbing against your palm of your hand, <laughs> tickling you. Well, all's well that ends well, but at oh, the time yeah. it must have scared you guys. Oh, God. And then, and then, he, then he, his first couple of games back, we're in Calgary, and I think it was like this, uh, I think it was like this Ronnie, maybe it was Ronnie. So someone, some guy in Calgary, they're getting in a scuffle right by the benches. And the guy's trying to grab his hand. He's trying to grab his bad hand. Yeah. And I freaking lost it. Guys are holding me off. Guys are holding me from the bench. And I, I finally, I was able to grab my helmet. I had my right hand free. I grabbed my, you know, it was my Jofa. And I'm hitting this. I'm, all I can do is hit him. We got so many arms grabbing us. I'm trying to pound this guy with my helmet. Like, if you can imagine that. Like, the guy tried to grab his hand that he just lost his finger on. Like, come on. Yep. Seriously. You do not mess with the bigger brother. No. I, I protect my brother Lawrence the same way. I've had to come right. to his aid so often. It's unbelievable. Right. Gino, you finished your NHL career with Quebec. You spent a few seasons with Milwaukee Admirals of the International Hockey League, more in a leadership role, though you put up big numbers. You then completed your career in Europe, playing primarily in Germany and Austria before you retired in 2001. How did you enjoy playing in Europe? I loved it. I absolutely... It was, it was kind of, it was when I first got there, got there in August and my first year over there in Germany. And I remember calling home, telling my wife's, you know, asked me, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, these guys are unbelievable. Like they're the, the skill, the skill was great. You know, they're fast. I mean, it was, the hockey was really good. And I thought I was over my head until we started playing games. And, you know, you start, you start understanding the reason they got me there is because some, these guys are like the best player on our team, this Polish, uh, Jocko Placha. I think he coaches over there, uh, their Polish national team. He, uh, unbelievable skill, but never take the puck to the net. Whereas, you know, it took me a little longer to get there, but like, you know, you start, you start understanding, you know, why they need you. And, you know, I was over there to score goals, but I used my size, you know, the first time I played a team, I'd make sure I run some guys over to make sure I, <laughs> I gave myself room. And then, you know, and so some of the rinks you went into, like, like in, uh, uh, I played a couple of years in Vilak, Austria, where they still, they didn't have glass. They had the, the boards were like higher and they had chain link fence. This oh my cool. goodness. But to my advantage, when I was going in against some of these Austrians or some of the, we played against a couple of teams from Slovenia. I'd go into the board screaming at players the first time we play and just scare the shit out of these guys. And the fans, the fans would eat that shit up. So I just, you know, I, I loved it. I just, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, like in, 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 uh, in Landshut, my first year in Germany, my centerman was Mike Bullard, who his last place, I mean, I, he was in Toronto and then I think he had been in Philadelphia before he went to Europe to play uh, and you know, I played with him in St. Louis. So, you know, you got Bully. He was a 50-goal scorer in Pittsburgh, in Calgary. Uh, you know, and then you get over there and you see all these, like, uh, Wally Schreiber. And, you know, there's these, 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 these Canadians that just opted not to go to the minors early in their careers and went to Europe to play and, you know, had been, been over there. Make, those guys had been over there in Europe in the 80s making more money than guys in the NHL were making. Wow. Cat, you know, it was like, it was crazy. You know, and, you know, we'd always, uh, uh, another, another guy from Calgary was this, I remember we used to have conversations. He's like, oh, I wish I had your career. I'm like, I wish I had my, you know, now I'm, I'm in my late thirties. I played, you know, and this guy, this guy's played the same amount of time. We broke in the same year, except for he's made enough money that he re can retire comfortably. Yeah. And I'm still playing because, you know, we didn't, 
we never made any money. You know, at the end of the day, yeah. like it's great to have played, but you know, you're at the you, you got to support yourself and your family. And this guy had just uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun over there. It was a lot of fun. Great experience, and you were able yeah. to take advantage of some of the cultural stuff too. It sounds like. Oh yeah, no, we we always the boys. Uh, my uh, my uh, my oldest son started kindergarten over there, so he was. We'd come back to Milwaukee and we throw right we throw him right into the German immersion school. So he was fluent in German. Uh, my younger son was born while I was over there, and you know it was it was a great experience for those for the kids. Like for them, it was you know we'd pick up in Austria. We were I pick up the, my son at school at noon and head to the gondola, and we'd be skiing by one thirty. You know, That's amazing. You know, just like as a family, we'd be skiing, and my 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 younger son, I had a special backpack, and he would be on my back and you know, in a backpack and, you know, it was, you know, just things that you, you look back now, it's almost like a dream, you know, it was was such a good time. And I actually, uh, my last year in Switzerland was in Beale. It wasn't, the boys were getting a little older and I think they had more, you know, they, they had more friends back home. I had actually, I was 39. I just signed a three-year contract to go back and my wife and my kids and the boys didn't want to go back. And I just, June twenty eighth, two thousand and one, was the last day. I wa- I, wo- I worked out that morning when I came home. I told my wife, "I'm not going. I'm retiring." I just decided mm-hmm. to retire. I didn't want to. You know, the boys were at an age where they were a lot of fun to be around, and I didn't want to miss that and go over by myself. So uh, that's that's when I retired. Um, you've been so great with your time. I do have a bunch of loose ends I want to cover with you. With the internet, of course, you can track everything. Apparently, Gino, you had forty five NHL fights. Who was the toughest? Do you remember? I mean, Probert was not an easy guy to fight. The toughest, I think, was uh, there's two two guys. So so my brother Paul's in uh, Paul's in. Uh, this is a funny story. Paul's in Binghamton at the time, and he's kind of a. Uh, he's they're playing Boston's they're playing uh, they're playing Boston's uh, farm team, and Jay Miller's on the other team. And Jay Miller drops a stick, and he goes to pick it up, and Paul nudges it away. And he goes to pick it up again, and he nudges it away. And then Jay Miller just drops the gloves and beats the shit out of Paul, right? <laughs> just kicks the shit out of him. So he calls me. You know, we, talk, we used to talk every Sunday night. I'm like, hey, bro. He tells me the story. I'm like, hey, just be patient. He'll get his, you know. You just got to be patient. I'll get him back. Don't worry. I'll take care of the business. So on Wednesday, I called Paul, and I'm like, hey, I just watched. we just watched a trade wire, or the guy's getting called up. Jay Miller just got called up to Boston's. He's going to be in St. Louis tomorrow night. I'm like, brother, pay back is sooner than you thought. <laughs> so we finally, we're, we start the game. And it's like five, six minutes, few shifts into the game. We're finally on the ice together. And I drop the gloves. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking about. Like, I, I had no idea who this guy was. I got hit. This guy hit he hit me with so many goddamn punches. I finally, I went to throw, I went to throw a punch and it was like, bum, 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 bum. like, oh my God. I finally grabbed his arms again. I went back, go to the locker room and Jock Demers comes in and after that period, he goes, Hey, we got guys that, we got guys that can do that. You don't need to be doing that. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Okay. I, I get it now. <laughs> so my brother, I get home that night and you know, he's waiting by the phone because they may, they may have watched the game on, on the satellite or whatever. And he's like, well, how'd it go? I'm like, we took care of business, brother. Like, he's like, really? Did you beat the shit out of him? He goes, I don't know if I beat the shit out of him, but I think he broke his hand on my face. <laughs> you oh are a, a legendary big brother, Gino. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, him did- and the, the other guy was Joey Koser. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Joey Koser just fought Jim Kite in Detroit and you know hit him so hard that Jim was – that may have – been the you know the decline of Jim's career so he comes in he comes into St. Louis and my brother's like hey don't I'm trying to get you know I'm fighting now to get in the lineup he goes don't do anything stupid that guy ends careers so something happens he's on the ice Coaster and I drop the gloves and I can hear Paul I'm holding on and this guy's strong I'm like holy shit this guy's freaking strong as a bull and I could hear my brother, I could hear Paul, don't let go, don't let go. And I'm like, shit, I just can't dance around. So I, I let go of his, I get let go of his left, and I go to throw a punch, and the same thing was like, bop, 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 bop. I'm like, holy fuck. I finally grab his arms again. I 
And we're right, they, they sent us off the ice. So I'm in the locker room. He comes in after the first period. He's all pissed. He's throwing shit. He's pushing me around. He goes, what are you doing? I told you not to fight that guy. He ends career. I says, dummy, sometimes you got to listen to your younger brother. I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, like with Jay, I saw Jay years, a couple of years ago. I saw him at a golf outing here in Chicago, Savard's outing. He was uh, really good friends with Gretzky. And uh, uh, I told Jay that the story about him and he laughed and the same thing I drove uh, we went to Kelly Chase had an outing something in uh, in Saskatchewan one year and I flew I flew with uh, Joey from Chicago to, to Saskatoon I told him that story oh my god and and then you're sitting next to the and I got big mitts this guy had, I don't even know, he had like pile drivers for hands. I don't even know what the hell I was thinking about. I'm surprised they even had hockey gloves that fit his hands. But he was he was so gracious. I mean, it was, you know, it was, and those were days where, like, after the game, you know, you'd, you could be at a bar with the team and the guys are, you know, guys are visiting with each other and, you know, you're having beers with these guys after. I mean, it was, you know, what happened on the ice stayed on the ice and, you know, we're just normal guys after just chilling out, you know. That is the great thing about hockey. Gino, I have to ask you if you had any interactions with Don Cherry. He must have loved you. You were the exact kind of player he loved. Truculent, but could put the biscuit in the basket. Did you have any interactions with Mr. Cherry? Not, not really. I don't. I don't recall. Um, I, over the years, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't remember. No. I want to ask you about any. Uh, uh, teammates you keep in touch with it sounds like you keep in touch with the alumni and and the last time you were kind of recognized and it sounds like you're alluding that anytime you're in st louis they still remember you how does this all tie in with what you're doing today at chicago mission and you know you're a guy who's been there and done that how do you uh, inspire these younger players to take the right path you know it's it's all it's all life lessons i mean obviously we're we're developing some of the top athletes in the chicagoland area but you know more importantly it's the kids think it's all hockey, but it's all the messages and, you know, be a good sport. You know, you're beating a team, be gracious, you know, be humble, you know, teach the kids to be humble and respectful. And it's all life lessons that, you know, they take with them. And, you know, it's like I had kids that played and I coached my sons and, you know, you get back and, you know, Rick Vi was on the bench with his kid and, uh, uh, like we had uh, for for a long time in Chicago here, we had Rocky Saginaw was here and he was, you know, I played against him both when he was in the minors with Toronto and then when he was in Toronto, um, you know, there's, you know, it, it, like at our club, I got uh, Michael Pavanka, Adrian O'Coin, uh, Michael Roosevelt. Uh, we've always got, we've always got pros that have come through with kids and, you know, gotten involved, Steve Dubinsky. And, and you know you see you see the same thing you go into Detroit like now in Detroit the the birth year that I coach a Pee Wee minor birth year uh, Chris Osgood's the coach on the other team so we went in we went in for three games and instead of uh, instead of the first game instead of playing the first game we we shared a practice you know and like for my you know and it was it was cool just to have their you know some of the former Red Wings on the ice but you know then he took he. Chris Osgood took the four goalies aside and, you know, my two goalies knew who he was and they were like awestruck. I mean, it's, it's fun, you know, in St. Louis, you know, Kelly Chase, Jeff Brown's coached there, Al McGinnis is coached there, Rob Ramage is coached there, Mike Zook. I mean, you go, go on and on. Um, it, it's, it's great. And, you know, you go, every city you go into, there's guys are, you know, they've either got their own kids or like, like Dave Ellett's retired in Phoenix and he coaches a midget team and he coaches midgets out there. We talk, you know, we'll run into each other, but it's, it's great just catching up with guys and, you know, especially going into St. Louis. Um, my Paul who lives there, my older son lives in St. Louis, so we'll get down there and, you know, to do stuff with the alumni is, you know, it's, it's great. And they're all, they're all, everyone's giving back. I mean, it's, we're all we're all in the same, you know. We all realize how fortunate we were, uh, you know, growing up in the era we did, and you know, with the resources that were available to us and our parents at the time, and you know, to help these kids along now, it's you know, it's it's not like what else would you do, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, this is like I I, I go back, I and I'll I'll talk to him once a couple of times a year is uh, Rick Kornakia, who um, kind of guided me along, and you know, like had not been for him i don't know if i'd end up i would have ended up in co playing college hockey at the time um so you know 
you know, and I'll joke about, you know, we'll joke about, yeah, you suck me into this world with you, you know, but uh, I get, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm the luckiest person, you know, in the city that, you know, like today I get to go down and interact with these young athletes that, you know, want to do or try to do what I did. And, you know, if not like get, you know, what can I impart on them in the meantime, you know, be good people, be good students. You know, it's not about now it's not about hockey. It's be a good person. You know, you don't need to be yeah. chirping guys, play the right way, treat people the way you want to be treated. It's all these life lessons that, you know, I look at, I look at the, the boys, my own boys and, you know, kids that I followed along after they're, after they've finished playing hockey and, you know, the success they're having in life is from hard lessons they learned while playing the game, you know, the camaraderie, the, the sportsmanship, you know, working with others, all those life lessons are, you know, uh, invaluable, you know, when you, when you, when you think about it. And I think, you know, parents here, they appreciate what we do. And, you know, obviously we like to win national championships and not, but you know what, like kids are leaving here, good people, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the main thing. That's great. Well, like you say, that's the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated and learning these life lessons, not just about hockey, but it's about life. Gino, as you mentioned, your mom still is in the family house back in Toronto. How often do you get back to Toronto uh, to see family and friends? Um, well, it's this, this past November at the Whitby Silver Sticks was the first time since the pandemic, since before mm -hmm. the pandemic. So we'll get, we'll get up, uh, normally we'll get up, I'll get up a couple of times a year. We'll do, uh, you know, we'll do something in, cause normally we, we would have done like a, a Marley, the Marley's always have a tournament early September. So we'd go up and we play either Chesswood or Westwood. And then between games, my mom would feed the whole team and couldn't be laid out in the front yard, like almost like a ritual, like it's an annual occurrence. So we haven't done that in a while, but like now she's flying, she's coming down, uh, she's coming down for Christmas now that, you know, the borders are open again. And, you know, we'll, we, 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 we try to get up there. She tries to get down as much as we can, but, you know, she's, uh, she's still, she still does her thing and she's, uh, she's pretty active in the community. So, you know. It's it's tough to uh, to get her away. She's finally uh, retired from leading the children's choir at uh, at our local church, uh, Saint Philip Neri, and you know she's got more time on her hands now. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, yeah. It's great to hear everything's going great. Gino, as we wrap up, where can we best follow you and your organization, the Chicago Mission? Um, we're our website, uh, chicagomission.com. Uh, we, we have, we, we have social media, Facebooks, Twitter, Instagram, usually, usually we'll end up at nationals. So we'll have a team at national championships, uh, at, at, at the three girls and four boys levels every year. Um, but yeah, at our, at our website, you can follow along. Other than that, I, you know, try to keep a low profile. I, like I, I saw, I, I'm just new, you know, I'm new into the social media stuff now out of necessity, but like I saw something popped up where my name popped up and on Twitter. And that's when I first uh, contacted you guys or responded back to it and sent you guys the clip of when I ran them over after that, <laughs> <laughs> when I ran it over, but uh, it's all good fun. It's all good fun. And yeah. you're a great guy. And I, it was great to get to know you and hear all your stories. And I do wish you uh, continued success with the program, Gino. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. Anytime, please. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by Henderson Brewing Company. On behalf of Gino Cavallini, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. 
Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.